We're going to be in Romans 1, 16 through 17. You remember that thing we were supposed to be in last week? We're going to be in it this week. So stand with me as we read Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith, as it is written, the one who is righteous will live by faith. Father, we thank you for this morning and this time to be together as brothers and sisters, Lord. We're thankful for this uh, time in which we can be with each other, we can celebrate with each other, we can clap with each other, we can cry with each other. Uh, We can just be there for one another because that's what you've called us as a church to be there for one another. And Lord, we pray in these moments that our hearts and minds are open and that your spirit comes in and works in us, transforming us, transforming us more into your image. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So Paul starts off the text this way, for I am not ashamed. Uh, There it is. There's the five words that are probably familiar to all of us when it kind of comes to Romans. Uh, For I am not ashamed. He is not ashamed of the gospel that he very soon will line out systematically to the Roman community. And, And Michael is right. After this, there's a whole bunch of bad news. So let's enjoy the good news. Uh, For these two verses, Paul will work out, from these two verses, Paul will work out uh, most of what he's claiming in the letter. He He will work it out, he will expound upon it, and he will defend it through the rest of the letter. These verses, verses 16 and 17, are what many believe or call Paul's thesis. It is his um, claim about God and what God is doing through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And, And Paul says, I am not ashamed of this claim. I am not ashamed of what God is up to. And neither should you, is what he's going on to say. Neither should you, and I'll say it again, neither should you be ashamed of what God is doing through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Paul's intent then is to show the Romans and us that there's nothing for us to be ashamed about what God's plan is for the world. And Paul will begin to say it is a very, very big plan that's going to include a whole bunch of different people. And in fact, Paul's going to line out the good news, this gospel story as he calls it. The story of God's divine plan being enacted in the world. The gospel story, which is a a, a different story, let's be honest, than how probably the powers that be would have written a good story. I mean, this gospel story doesn't follow or start in the right social place. It doesn't actually have the right leader. I mean, don't you know nothing good comes from it? I mean, the the gospel story isn't how most mythological stories track. The hero in the most mythological stories do not die. This one does. The hero especially doesn't die on a cursed instrument, the cross. Everything about this story should feel shameful in the time and place of the first century, in the Roman culture, in the Roman empire. Everything about this story should feel shameful. A lowly Messiah, a cross, 
The last shall be first. The first shall be last. A bunch of misfits leading uh, the charge. While the world of Rome would question the honor of calling a crucified Lord hero. While Rome would look and say, you want the one who hung on a cross to be your hero. And if we think about where they're speaking from, Caesar liked to call himself Lord just a whole lot. While the world of Rome sees the gospel story of one that connects with the whatnots and the has-beens and the outcast of the society. I mean, this is a story that has people that no one actually wants to hang out with. No one wants to be uh, with them. This story has uh, people that no one wants to include. And I mean, if you want to start a movement, you don't start from the bottom. You start from the top. And yet this movement starts from the bottom. To the Roman culture, this entire story would seem shameful. It would even seem ludicrous. And yet Paul says that this story that he is not ashamed of is the power of salvation from God. It is the power of God for salvation. The theologian Scott McKnight describes Paul's unabashed words this way, Paul subverts the worldliness of the Roman Empire by believing and preaching the lordliness of the crucified Jesus. He is not one bit ashamed of that gospel. That gospel, furthermore, is taking root in Rome, this place in which he's writing the letter, in small house churches, among the poor, and among the low of status. And this kind of Christiformity subverts all Roman flesh, and all Roman empire. This gospel story, this good news, is nothing to be ashamed about. Just because the world doesn't comprehend it, just because the world's trying to understand it, Paul says, you have no business being ashamed of yourselves. This gospel gives status to people who don't deserve status, and it gives hope to people who don't deserve hope. And Paul says in these two verses, yes, it does, and I am not ashamed it's giving hope to people who've never had hope. I'm not ashamed it's giving status to people who've never had status. I'm not ashamed that I'm sitting next to people who only a few years ago when I was, you know, that guy before the Damascus Road, I would think I would never sit next to, and I am now not ashamed of sitting next to that person. Paul says, this is the story, and this is the power of salvation, first for the Jew, then for the Greek. What Paul is saying, it is in fact the story that saves everyone. Paul is saying that because of what you see and what you're participating in, Roman church, because of what you see and you're participating in, Grapevine Church of Christ, you have no business being ashamed, and therefore you, your community, and your life is the very evidence of the power of God at work in the world. The fact that you're sitting here today with the people next to you, Paul says, is the power and evidence that God is at work in this world, and therefore we have nothing to be ashamed about. God's working, salvation is working in the world for everyone. And here's the thing about not being ashamed. 
Here's this word that's kind of bubbling to the surface. I've talked about this numerous times in ladies' class on Wednesday, I believe. This morning upstairs I brought it up, and I'm bringing it up again. As I've been reading Romans, I've been looking at what Paul is doing. There's a word that's bubbling up. As Paul says, I am not ashamed. There's this thing about not being ashamed. There's this thing that we have to have. It's called trust. Paul calls it faith. I almost think a better word is trust. A trust is involved. A trust that God is at work in a world gone haywire. A world uh, influenced by sin. And we'll talk about that at the end part next week. It gets, it gets kind of bad and dark from here, folks. But it's only a couple chapters, I promise. And then Paul gets back to good news. But in a world gone crazy, influenced by sin... Paul, in our text, writes that the gospel, this story that you and I have said yes to, is the power to make all things right in the world. That this is actually God at work making things right. The gospel is God's saving power in the lives of everyone. Trust is an incredibly important thing in this endeavor. And so the question I have is, do we trust That the gospel is God's saving power. Do we trust that God can save as God says God can save? And therefore, God's work in the world is for all people. Not just for, you know, your friends. And not just for certain people. Do we trust that God's power and God's salvation is for the person next door that you don't really like? Not in here. That was last week. I'm talking about your neighbor. And when we talk next week, do we believe that what Paul says about how the world has gone haywire, do we believe that God is even for those people? And by the way, you know what I'm talking about because you've called them those people. Do we believe that we are, can be unashamed about this gospel? It is the power that lies within us, and it is a story that can even save those people. Or are we still the ones pointing the finger saying they're the problem? Because if we're the ones saying they're the problem, then we're still a little ashamed of this gospel. And we're still not sure and don't trust God enough that this is the power unto salvation. Because if we trust that God's good news through the life of Jesus and now the life of the Holy Spirit working in and through us has the power to bring salvation to all who hear, to all who witness, and to all who experience it, then what are we doing? We trust that God is bringing God's plan into the world. We trust that God hasn't bailed on creation, even though creation has tried to bail on God. That Paul, in this statement, points to God's fidelity, God's righteousness, God's faithfulness towards God's covenant. From this statement Paul makes, Paul will show that it is God who is faithful toward us, and we needed God's faithfulness, God's righteousness, and God's fidelity towards us. Because folks, in the end, we can't do it all on our own. And when we think we can is when we fall. When we think we can is when we fall short. We can trust that God can do this. That the gospel is God's righteousness being revealed to the rest of the world. 
And again, I have a feeling I'll have to say these words so many times over the course of this study, and I hope you hear it. It's God's righteousness, not yours. It's God's faithfulness, not yours at work. The gospel story is God's story. The gospel story of Paul is God's righteousness, God's faithfulness, revealed from the very beginning. And so do we trust that God is in the process of making everything right? As we look around the world and as we shake our head, do we still trust that God is the God who is making everything right? Do we still trust that God, is the, that God has the story and that God has the power to bring salvation to everyone? Do we have faith, as Paul says in, in this part, do we have faith is revealed through faith that everyone is righteous, will live by faith? Do we have faith? Do we have trust that God will then, now, and into the future make everything right? Because Paul sure thinks so. And because of that faith, and because of that trust, he can say, I am not ashamed. He can live in an unashamed way. I am not ashamed of what God is doing and saying through me. I am not ashamed of what God is calling me to be and who God is calling me to go to. Maybe that's why he can say, to the Greek, I can become a Greek, and to this person, I can become this person, or to this person, I can become this person. Why? Because when you're so rooted in these two verses, in this story of God, when your identity is rooted here, then you don't have any fear of talking to anyone of being neighbors with anyone, of being friends with anyone, of speaking the good news to anyone. That Paul is saying that we too are called into this mission of reconciliation that, and that Paul will begin to, to work out just how this looks and how this can be. And the beauty of Romans 16 and 17 is, is probably every English teacher's dream. But it is concise and it is succinct and it is good. There is beauty in a beginning which reminds us of just how much we needed God to do what God did. Whatever we tried, whatever we wanted to do have fallen short. We can work hard. We can follow all the rules. We can even attempt to check every box. And Paul still says in our attempts, we're going to fall short. Part of it is, as I was reminded of this from uh, Frederick Beekner, who writes in his book, Wishful Thinking, Beekner says this about salvation. Beekner says this when we think about what it means to be saved and this idea of salvation. He says, the best analogy that he can think of is this. A closer analogy is the experience of love. When you love somebody, it is no longer yourself who is the center of your own universe. It is the one you love who is. You forget about yourself. You even deny yourself our response to God's righteousness and faithfulness is trust and faith it's a trust that we've experienced something so great and so powerful that we have been de-centered from the sinner and God becomes the sinner I've got to say that right sin her better and so therefore God becomes our center and our one in whom we love and therefore we're able to deny ourselves and we're even able to forget about ourselves in response our response to this is we respond in faith and trust that we are loved so much 
that God would die for us. That response of faith then is not one out of fear. We are not walking on eggshells with God. We are not afraid that God is looking for the one last thing to do to us. You know what I'm talking about. I've said this before, that God is the teacher and he's got the eraser and boy, he is just waiting to erase your name from the book of life. Paul's saying we don't live that way. That's not God's intention for us. The response to faith, the response to trust is a transformative movement from fear to, as Beekner describes it, love. Our salvation is motivated out of God's deep love for us. It's God's deep covenantal love. It's not going anywhere. God's deep faithful love for us. Our faith is found in, as Paul says, God's faithfulness. We love because God showed us how much we are loved in and through Jesus. It's a different way to live than fear. And what Paul says, it is this motivation and love in which you find your sinner that there are so many in the world who need as well. The righteousness of God, God's action towards us, is the very center of the story. And here's the biggest move. If we are righteous and we are justified, and we are secured in God through our faith in God's righteous and covenantal faithfulness, then our trust that God is the God who keeps promises, who keeps covenants, and is faithful, our trust that God will, even though we have made a mess of it, and let's be honest, we've made a mess, our trust, our faith is rooted that God's faithfulness of God's righteous power, that God can make everything right, through this story so it comes down to trust in the end trust is big trust is huge and trust is probably the whole ball game can you decenter yourself place god in the center and trust that god has got this so then we can live a shame-free life we can live an unashamed life for we have the power of god working in us fred craddock tells a story of when he killed a snake while cutting grass And he yelled for his father, uh, and his father, seeing the snake, said this. And maybe some of y'all have heard this. Well, son, a snake won't die until sundown. Has anybody heard that? Charlie, Jan, you have? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) A snake won't die until sundown. He says, and, and so he says, take the snake and hang it on a fence. Craddock hung the snake on the fence, like his dad said, and he continued throughout the day to look over at the fence. And he noticed this whole time while the sun was up, the tail was moving. It was doing its thing. Craddock said, that's when he learned just how hard it is to give up life. Just how hard it is to turn loose. How are you living today? Are you living like one unashamed? Are you living like one who trusts that God, the creator of heavens and earth, in God's infinite wisdom, decided the very best plan, the plan that would show you how much God loved you and everyone else, Jew and Greek? Do you trust that in that plan, you have nothing to be ashamed of because God loves you that much? If it's the other way, then my question is, what do you still need to let go of? What do you still need to let go of to live into the statement that the power of the gospel is the one that is free and that saves you from shame? What do you need to let go of like the snake hanging on the fence? What do you got to let go of? What do you got to turn loose of? 
I'm hoping you will over the next few months witness and feel that power as Paul explains just how far God went for you and me to no longer be ashamed, to be afraid, and to be fearful of the rest of the world. Salvation, Paul will line out, will be for everyone. No one will be left behind. And that is our task and mission. Our shame has been defeated. And from here on out, Paul will motivate us to do the same for others. No one should be left behind. If you have any needs this morning, if you're feeling the weight of something on you, if you're feeling something that you just can't let go of, like that's great, Russell, that, Paul's on, that Paul says I'm not supposed to be ashamed, but fill in the blank. If you need to come up and talk to me, we'll have elders up front. There's people next to you who are willing to hear your story as well and pray for you. But if you have any needs this morning, come now as we stand and as we sing.